There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast. And today it's with myself, Colin Andrews, and Steve Molina. Hey, Colin. Steve, nice to see you again. Thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, it is nice to see you again. I'm glad I could be back. Well, I guess you passed the audition and now you're on to episode two. It's a good one. Yeah. So today we're going to revisit some of our core principles that we've gone through over the last 14 or so episodes and relate them back to what's happening now and why we're even spending time on it. Because the significance of what's happening these days can't be downplayed. Steve, as you know, we went through the fastest bear market in stock market history. We sure did. Amazing where it is today. Because it was followed by the fastest bull market in history. Yeah. And these aren't even our opinions this time. This is just fact. And the S&P 500, as of recording right now on August 24th, the S&P 500 is at an all-time high. Yeah. Who would have thought? March 23rd, not that many people. It's interesting though, because I remember we were talking in April and May about how when we were going through the bull market recovery period, the chance of reaching an all-time high again by the end of the calendar year seemed probable, even though March 23rd, it seemed <laughs> highly unlikely. Yeah. The thought of being where we are today, virtually impossible. Exactly. So what we want to talk about today is, as I said, some of the core principles that help us deal with these types of markets. And we also want to get into coaching. And Steve, I know that you've spent a long time as a coach, mostly in basketball. Yeah. And I've coached as well for many years, but I wanted to get your take on, like, look, we can go through all of the data as to what's been going on these days, but data is kind of meaningless in regards to outcome. So as a coach, maybe tell us how you deal with a game-like situation, if this was the game we were playing. Yeah, well, you know what? For a lot of our listeners, I don't think a lot of people understand or know what my background's been like. And I'm a big basketball fan. I played as a kid. I've coached almost 20 years. And I've had a chance to watch my own son play at the collegiate level, play for a national championship. I even look back on the number of kids that I've influenced and helped Some of them are CIS, which is the university level national champions. And even some of them have gone on to play professionally. Incredibly rewarding, helping these kids along their journey and helping them achieve their goal. I think coaching is very similar in the investment world where we have this game plan and the objective is we're going to play for short periods of time, but the objective is to win at the end of the game. So But you can't focus on that outcome at the beginning. No, you can't because you're going to have volatility. You're going to have ups and downs. And the objective is, well, managing those short periods of time with the objective of, you know what, we're going to win this at the end of the day. So when I think about coaching, I think about some of the greatest basketball coaches in history. John Wooden, he was the coach for the NCAA UCLA Bruins ended up winning 10 NCAA championships, seven of them in a row over a 10-year period. I also think of 
coaches like Phil Jackson. Now, Phil Jackson was Michael Jordan's coach, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was dubbed the Zen Master. Ended up coaching Michael Jordan for six of his rings, as well as Kobe Bryant. Ended up winning five rings. Greg Popovich with the San Antonio Spurs. Coached Tim Duncan, David Robson. He accumulated or amassed another five championships himself. Now, these guys didn't have perfect records, Colin, but they had long-term goals. And like I said, they didn't have perfect records, but you don't expect perfect records. But did they start each season saying, like, does Phil Jackson start the season say, hey, Michael, let's go win another championship this year, and that just happens? Of course not. No, I think that is the long-term goal, and they break it down into small pieces, but they have a steady strategy to get them there. And that's where coaching comes into play with our world, our relationships with our clients. Our goal is to be coaches for our clients, have a strategy in place, and think about this long-term goal. And that's incredibly important for our clients. I'm glad you brought this up. You and I were chatting last week about the podcasts and the episodes and how some of the shows sort of run on into each other with maybe similar information with a purpose, trying to build a story. And we've built this game plan to focus on building the information arena for our listeners so that we're not just focused on the outcome. So similar to what you just talked about. Yeah, well, this is real life for us. And we definitely don't downplay it. That's why for our listeners, we want to make sure that there's data and then there's real world application, real world life. And that's how we want to relate to our listeners. Let's look at some of what those core principles are. So in our episode two, we focused on asset allocation. And the reason for that is that asset allocation is that decision you make. It's kind of like what we called the recipe for baking a cake. In order to, to bake that cake successfully, you have to have the right amount of ingredients, the right ingredients in the right weightings to get the right outcome, instead of just throwing a bunch of things in a bowl and hoping for a good outcome. Yeah, it's tried and true. Exactly. So what we talked about was there are many out there that look at this get rich versus lose everything portfolio, whether they mean to or not, to have a highly concentrated stock portfolio that really does well when things are good, like maybe back in January of this year, and really does poorly when things are bad, like maybe around, I don't know, March 23rd of this year. But we focus on asset allocation because it works. And that is a core principle. The second core principle I wanted to revisit for today was diversification. And I know, Steve, we've had people over the years that have said, well, I'm diversified because I own not just oil stocks, but gas stocks too. And the reality is that that's not diversified. Yeah, that idea of diversification was diversification and then there's not diversification. Right. (laughs) Exactly. But we visited, and I think this was in episode three, the fact that Canada is only 3% of the global market capitalization. And yet we find a lot of home bias with investors. And even in our own industry here in Calgary, which is heavily weighted to the oil and gas industry, there's a lot of concentration within the energy sector. And so we also talked about, well, how do you diversify a portfolio? And the items that we pointed out were geographically, which I just talked about. Canada is a very small part of the overall world market. We talked about diversifying by sector. So there are more things than just oil and gas stocks out there. By market capitalization, by relative price. So this goes into value versus growth, which is something we talked about in factors of return episode. So we won't spend any time on that. And then bonds, holding not just government bonds or not just corporate bonds, but a mix of those and focusing on the credit quality of those underlying bonds. When we talk about bonds, 
I think people forget that just because they're driven by interest rates or interest rates have a huge impact on bonds, a lot of people don't want to invest in them because they believe that the returns can be minimal. But that's certainly not the case, especially when we look at it for 2020. Well, that's right. And the returns on the interest, like the coupon, is minimal, but the overall return of the bond market is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting little piece of information. I was listening to another podcast out of the US. It's a pretty famous one in our world. And the host brought up that 80%, now this was his own fact check, 80% of the bonds that traded in the US were trading at less than 1% yields. Wow. Amazing. So that goes to that point you just made that somebody might say, well, why would I want to own that bond? It doesn't pay me very much. But obviously bonds are not just there for just interest. Correct. They do have a role within a portfolio. And I think it's important for us as advisors and coaches to help our clients understand that role. Exactly. So we also looked at, well, how does diversification impact portfolio returns? Well, it averages out the returns. It averages out the volatility. I mean, these are important things. And I know DFA, that's Dimensional Fund Advisors, put out a paper back in March, I believe, of this year, Why Should You Invest? And they showed that the difference in a 10-year return from 2000 to 2010 varied significantly by country. So from a negative 9.1% decade, that was the S&P 500, to a more than 212% return which was the European market. So it's quite significant changes in return based on where the money's invested. I don't know, crazy stuff. Yeah, it is crazy. So the other thing we looked at in episode nine was market timing. And in March of 2020, so March of this year, which is exactly when that bear market hit and things were hitting the fan. I don't have to tell you what was hitting the fan, Steve. Forbes put out an article and it talked about how market timing is for suckers and that there were a few reasons. Number one, they said, we always think we can do this successfully, which obviously isn't true. Number two, you don't have an edge against the pros, which probably is true. Number three, in order for market timing to be effective for you, you need to be right a lot. And we're going to get into a couple of stories about that. Number four was you need to be a full-time investor. So in other words, it's your job. That's all you do all day. And number five, Market timing is stressful. And I want to talk a little bit about that, Steve, about this whole market timing is stressful part, because we hear often hear these things like FOMO. That's the, what does FOMO stand for again? Oh, fear of missing out. Is that what it is? Yeah. That's, that's the one. But have you ever heard of phobie? That one's a first for me. I had only, I only heard this last week. It was the fear of being in. Okay. So you're stressed out because you're missing out on returns or on a market, whether it be like the stock market or owning a house or whatever. But then that market turns and it brings with it a different type of stress, this fear of being in. In other words, well, how do I get out of this market? That's completely different. Yeah. And I think we'll get into that where, where does that all stem from? I don't know. Where does it all stem from? Well, <laughs> well, I think it's this fight or flight response mechanism. And right. yeah, and that is just as human beings, there is a part of our brain that says, listen, you know what? We're either going to be in or we're going to be out. Yeah. It's, it's telling you it's time to go. Yeah, correct. That's the amygdala, I believe. Right? Yeah. The amygdala. I think right. that's where it all starts. And then it sends a response to your central nervous system that says, Here's the energy for you to get in or stay in the fight or actually get out. Well, interesting, that fear of being in is its own fight or flight, right? Like a really good example of this is, well, 
the San Francisco real estate market. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I will. Um, (laughs) So San Francisco was the hottest real estate market in the U.S. for quite a while recently. All of the dot-com Silicon Valley companies are in and around that area, which drove the price of housing up substantially. And I was in San Francisco a couple of years ago and we had a taxi driver and he was telling us how hard it was to buy a house and all those things. But when you look at it now, with all of the work from home parameters based around this global pandemic and people starting to revisit, well, where do I really need to live? That market's really softened. So apparently the inventory for houses for sale in San Francisco has risen by 96% on a year-over-year basis. 96%, that seems like a pretty big number. Wow, that is a big number. So this is fear of being in. So you have people that are just now just trying to sell. They're trying to get out. And we know in order for there to be a trade, whether it be a house or a stock or a bond, there has to be a buyer for every seller and a seller for every buyer, something we always talked about as the zero-sum game. But if you're in San Francisco, I guess if you're a motivated seller because you really need to get out, you'll probably accept a lower price. So I guess that's fear of being in. Yeah. Kind of crazy though, but it just shows what happens when you're on the wrong side of a trade. So Steve, tell us a little bit about this guy named Warren Buffett or Buffet as some like to call him. Yeah, Warren Buffett. So he's probably considered the greatest investor of our generation. Runs a small company by the name of Berkshire Hathaway. Really small company, right? Yeah, a really small company. Now, wait, before you go on, we are not promoting Berkshire Hathaway. We're not suggesting anybody invest in it. It's just a fact that Warren Buffett runs this company. As you know, Steve, Warren Buffett talks about fear and greed, and he talks about how they can both be super contagious at times. And he says, simply put, to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So this quote is a very famous quote from Warren Buffett, known as the Oracle of Omaha. But seeing it is a lot easier than doing it. And I want to relate this back to coaching, which you talked about. So saying you want to win the game versus winning the game, what's the difference? Well, I think it is breaking it into small pieces, having that strategy in place. The focus isn't the end. It is the journey along the way and small wins along the way, accepting that there is going to be ups and downs, but being committed to the process. In the basketball world, we call it a game of runs. You're going to get opportunities. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But it is maintaining that strategy over the long period of time. And I think the outcome for more times than not is you winning. And I think that's what a lot of these great coaches have been able to show. So would you classify Warren Buffett as a coach then? Yeah, I would. Absolutely. He owns and runs this large conglomerate, and his objective is the long term. He is breaking it down, having that strategy, and only time will tell. Well, and time has told. (laughs) It it has, considering the number of years he's been involved. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Right on. I think of it like, did you ever used to play the old gaming system Atari? Oh, yes. The Atari 2600? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the game Pitfall? Yeah, not to predate myself, but yes, I do remember that. Yeah, so what was the point of the game is getting to the end, right? Collecting the gold at the end. It was like an Indiana Jones-style game. Correct, and there was no end. You just, you, kept, right. <laughs> you just kept going. 
Yeah, actually, now that you bring it up, that's the part that upsets me the most is you can never win. You never win. It will just keep going. But that's what it reminds me of is that like if we're just solely focused on the outcome and we don't have a plan in place, we don't follow a plan, we're only focused on the next moment, not the next goal, then all that we talked about doesn't mean anything. I mean, if that was the case, you would not be diversified. You would just speculate on one stock at a time. You'd never own a bond. You would be timing markets or trying to time markets, and that's all you would do. And I couldn't imagine the stress that goes along with that, Colin. Trying to predict every moment of the day. That would be incredibly stressful. Jeez, I couldn't even tell you what's going on tomorrow. I got a calendar that's related to work, related to family. But you know what? Whether it comes to fruition or a wrench doesn't get thrown into it, listen, that's part of the game. Well, that's the old models versus realities. Let's get into that a little bit because I know a friend of mine, well, no, he's not a friend of mine. He's a friend of a friend. He sold out his stock portfolio in February because he felt nervous about coronavirus and what was going to happen to the U.S. market. And so he sold out. And he happily told me all about this in March, that he had sold out in February, and that was great. But he never bought back in. So here we are now, and the S&P 500 is back to all-time highs, and he's still sitting in cash waiting for it to fall again. That seems like playing the game of pitfall. Yeah, I would say so. I'm curious to know what indicator he used to determine... He used fear as an indicator. And I'm wondering what indicator he used to get back in. Obviously, fear. (laughs) 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 They can't work on both sides. But, you know, there's a lot of these stories out there. You were telling me one the other day. Oh, yeah. There's someone that I know as well. And he conveniently liquidated just before March. And then just speaking with him recently announced that he's slowly been getting back in. But the cost of him not just being invested... I know has hurt his return overall. Now, the question that he continues to ask me is where the market's going. Is he using foresight to predict what's going to come in the fall? Because there's a lot of concern about a second wave. Question is, does he have any insight into that? And I'd say no, which is why he hasn't been able to get back into the market. Well, I think that goes back to the strategy of having that plan and having a coach to guide you through that plan. Because the reality is, who knows? Because it's such a loaded question that you get. Well, what's going to happen to the market in the fall? How the heck should I know? I mean, yes, we have the years of experience and the credentials and the designations. And we're also okay to tell listeners out there that there's models and there's reality. And as you said, a wrench gets thrown in every once in a while. And it's interesting because I've had someone recently come up to me and tell me that they've actually redeemed majority of their registered plans. So they're RSP. This is RSP money. It is not RIF money. This is RSP. They are midway through life, but there's so much fear gripping their decisions that they are actually redeeming this RSP to pay down a mortgage when interest rates are at all-time lows. And it's amazing how much fear has gripped them, regardless of the data and the information that's available to them, that I've advised them on how they'll never recover from an investment standpoint, from a strategy standpoint. Their retirement plans are completely upended, but yet they feel that their objective is, well, you know what, Steve, I think I'm going to buy some precious metals, hold that, and wait a couple of years out. Well, 
it might work. Well, I think this is a, just another scenario of overconfidence and where they see the economy going, where the pandemic being. Do they have any insight, Colin? I don't think so. Maybe it seems obvious to that person, and it's not. It's right? just not. It's only obvious after the fact, and that's something we talked about in another episode about hindsight bias, that looking back, everybody right now is like, well, why didn't we invest more in March? I mean, we knew that this would be short-lived, that the economy would recover, that things would get back to normal, albeit, well, wearing a mask everywhere you go. But it's, it's not, right? It's not. Yeah, it's not reality. And to your, the person you mentioned who shall remain Anonymous. unnamed. Yep. When you say that they were cashing out from their RSP, there's a tax event to that too. So they have to pay tax on the withdrawal and they lose that RSP room for life. They do. Yeah. And it reminds me of, they were so focused on having tangible assets, something that they can hold. And there is a bias that goes along with that, but it's just amazing how they block out all rationale from it. Right. And what sort of impact does that have? Even though we've actually had a strategy for these people, they kind of know where they were going to go, what this plan looked like, and now that's all changed. I showed my daughter a map the other day, like a road map. She didn't know what it was because in her life, how does she find a place? She looks it up on her smartphone, Googles the address, hits the button that says directions, and it tells you where to go. <laughs> Very different than what you and I grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that because my wife and I just had that conversation the other day as well. <laughs> How did you get along without Google Maps or Apple Maps? Disclaimer. Yeah, without those anonymous apps. Exactly. Say, <laughs> yeah. That we are not promoting either company or just saying that they are used for travel purposes. But you brought up a good point. Jason Zweig wrote a book. This goes back quite a while now. It's called Your Money and Your Brain. And I really like this book because it helps to explain some of the decision-making process that you just identified with this friend or client. You sit back and you go, why is that person making that decision? Well, as we talked about earlier, because they're scared. And according to the book that Zweig wrote, he's identified that you process financial loss in the same part of your brain as mortal danger. And so when you see a financial loss, it feels like you might die is the way your body's responding to it, right? And so you get why people flee, even though they might say, I know that you're going to tell me I shouldn't be doing this, but I just have to. Is that kind of the experience you've had with this person? Yeah. You know what I would say? That's exactly the experience that I've had with that person. And sure, there's some upside to that, right, Colin? In certain situations, it can A, save your life, B, However, when it requires looking at things from a rational perspective, it could have detrimental effects to a long-term plan or a long-term strategy. And I would say this is that time when people should just sit back, take a deep breath, and then look at it with their coach from a rational perspective. Yep. Maybe even start practicing something like meditation. Agreed. <laughs> right? Clear your mind. Because it's not like there's a saber-toothed tiger lurching in the tall grass around the corner ready to eat you. Well, listen, that was fun. Steve, what did we learn today? Well, you know what, Colin? I think there's some very key points. And we've talked about it in multiple episodes or podcasts, but focus on the fundamentals. Asset allocation. How key is asset allocation, which drives majority of your returns? The importance of diversification, having a diversified portfolio, not just within securities, but globally. And the importance, I guess I can't stress this enough, being a coach, not just from the basketball sense, but 
as an advisor to my clients, how important that relationship is and having a long-term strategy with your clients and being open and honest that you are going to have wins, you are going to have losses. And our job is to live that with our clients, but focus on the long-term. And I know at the end of it, we're going to win. Exactly. Hey, listen, for fun, I just wanted to go through a few things. My dad sent me a book. It's called The Catcher in the Rye. And I know it's a very famous book. I've never read it. Maybe in high school we were supposed to, and I just didn't. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure his motivation for sending it to me, but (laughs) I'll give it a read. But what are you doing for fun these days? Well, you know what? Basketball or sports back on TV. So With no fans. With no fans, but I love how much these leagues have put into introducing the client experience or the fan experience. So, you know, I'm spending a lot of time just watching basketball and actually cheering on the Raptors who've done a phenomenal job up till now. Who's that? Who are the Raptors? Oh, the Toronto Raptors, the defending NBA champions. Oh, right. The only team in Canada. Right. I almost forgot. I was going to say for local events, well, listen, summer is basically over. Kids go back to school next week. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that plays out as well. And you know what? Hey, listen, like I said, we're going to have ups and downs along with this, and we just got to keep riding it out. Right on. Well, listen, thanks for joining us today on The Free Lunch with uh, Steve Molina yeah, and thanks, Colin, Colin Andrews. I really appreciate you being on the show, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Colin. I uh, had a lot of fun, so look forward to being on the podcast again. All right, till next time. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to The Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2020.